Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, February 2nd, also known as Groundhog Day. We are here live, and we are doing a special show today. We're doing another episode of our Tax and Accounting mini-series. Travis is back here with me. And uh, we're going to jump right in today, though. We do want to leave a lot of time for questions. So we've done a couple episodes of this. We're putting it together as a mini-series, so you can always go back and reference this. It's timely right now. We're, we're filing our taxes for last year. We want to make sure we have plenty of time for questions today. Uh, we've put out a lot of material, what you should be doing sure it's created a lot of questions, so jump in early and line them up. 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Those calls are starting to come in, so uh, get in, and we'll get to your calls and questions here in just a little bit. Travis, welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be with you again. So it's, uh, it, it's February, I know it's still a little early, but I uh, just wanted to check in and see how your sanity is so far. You know, everything hit pretty early this year, and so we're already right in the middle of it. Are you really? Wow. That, uh, yeah, it ran up. That'll make for it a long tax owner. season. It will. Yeah, they, they don't have to wait for forms. Exactly. You, know, if you own a business, you've reconciled all your books, it's, it's ready to go sometimes January 10th or 15th. And so this year seems like more than normal. I've had clients get stuff in, which has been good because hopefully uh, that will create less of a crunch later if we can get some of the big projects done now. But yeah. So, yeah, you know, one of the things I want to do today, we've done a couple episodes. We've talked about uh, a lot of deductions that people don't always take. You know, one one of the things I it's made me crazy about this forever. I get calls, people will say, well, shouldn't I buy this because it's a tax deduction? The answer to that question is always no in my book. If, if the question is, should I buy it because it's a tax deduction? My answer is always no. Why would you want to do that? You, you don't come out ahead. I think some people are under the impression that any dollar they spend on something that's deductible is no longer taxed, but that's not true. In business, what would you say? Maybe a 30% tax deduction is really what you're getting, right? You're getting about 30% of that money not taxed. Right. Yeah. Very common misconception is every dollar that I spend is a dollar that I don't pay in tax. That's not true. Your benefit rate is your tax rate. So you think about what it's costing you to make a dollar, but when you remove that dollar in an expense, it's only saving you that same cost rate. And so 30%, probably a pretty good rule of thumb. It could easily get higher than that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, especially if you're in a high, high tax state. Another common misconception, Kevin, that I see all the time is people that don't understand how graduated tax rates work. Yeah, they say, yes. <laughs> oh, if, if, if I earn that money, it could push me into a new tax bracket. Oh, no, then I can't it, do that. I say, well, what's your worry about that? 
Well, then if I go from the 12 to the 22% tax bracket, all my income's taxed at an extra 10%. (laughs) Right. Right. That's not how it works. Yeah. Just to clear that up, (laughs) just to clear that up, it's only that marginal amount that enters that new bracket that gets taxed at the higher rate. It's only the, that, you know, the amount exceeding the threshold where you're going to be taxed. Everything else is, is taxed at the uh, filled up the lower rates is taxed at the lower rates. So I'm not sure if I, I know this correctly or not, but wasn't there a time in our history that that wasn't the case, that we actually had tax brackets where once you went over that, everything was taxed at that? Did, was that ever part of our tax code? You know, I've been doing this for 15 years, and ever since I've been in school learning about t- tax rates, the rates themselves have changed two or three times. Yeah, right. But the way that they work with the graduated system has not changed. It's possible that, I don't know, I, I, 80 years ago it was different. I thought I remembered, like, I've been doing this since, like, the early 90s, and it's always been that way, too. It's been progressive. But I, for some reason, it seems to me like I've read that there was a time where that wasn't true. Um, certainly we don't need to think about that today. So we've covered a lot of stuff. What I want to do on today's episode, because this will probably be our, our last episode of the mini series for this, um, maybe later on in the tax season, if we can, we'll get you back just to answer questions. I want to kind of go back, recap a little bit of, of what we've talked about. I want to talk about why we do this at all. Why do we even talk about accounting and taxes? Uh, then I'll let you kind of wrap up with with your thoughts on this and by then we'll probably have a ton of questions so we'll start getting to them so let, let's stick with this idea that you know people want to go spend money to get a tax break and i've tried to talk them out of that forever what we've been helping them with is taking tax deductions that they probably have qualified for forever but just don't take because they don't understand that they can or how they can. Their tax preparer obviously has never told them about it. And it's shocking how many people actually miss these kinds of deductions. We, we covered, and we're not going to cover them in depth today because we've already done that. And really, we, it's not like we can teach somebody how to do these things on, you know, in, in an hour show. It's, we're just making you aware of them so you can go back to your tax preparer and say, why are we not doing these things? We talked about things like paying your children uh, to work in your business, the awesome tax deduction, a lot of benefits to that. We talked about uh, taking deductions for combining, you know, business travel, we can sometimes call part of our business travel or vacation time deductible. If we do it all right, we talked about that. Talked about things like personal vehicle miles, home office deduction. I'm pretty sure we covered corporate leasebacks or at least talked about it a little bit. We talked about using an S corporation uh, to get taxes down. These are the strategies that, uh, how often do you see that these just aren't being um, taken advantage of because people don't know. Yeah, very common. Um, you know, people, especially if you've been an employee and now you're starting to, you know, become an independent contractor or owner operator, it's a different method of thinking yeah, that people have to convince themselves. And so, you know, it, it's something that you have to get some experience. You have to have a mentor, you know, you don't just come up with this on your own. And so, People eventually do get it, usually, 
uh, if you've worked with them for a while or, 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 but yeah, when you say, you know, new clients that come in, it's, it's very common. They're missing out on benefits that they already should qualify for. Yeah. And we're not asking them to spend any more money. Most of the time, we're just saying, go back right. and, and put in place the, the things you need to do to take these deductions. You've already spent this money. We're not asking you to spend anything more. Right. We're just saying, look, you already spent it. You just, you're not getting your, t- your tax break for it. So that's why we, we did this mini series. And I, I want to step back even further and, and go back to the basics of why do we even talk about any of this stuff about money? I'm really going to talk about the big picture now. We'll, we'll, first off, why do, why do we get up every morning and go to work? I'm pretty sure if people stopped getting paid for going to work, I'm pretty sure they would stop going, right? <laughs> I would think so. And we don't want to make everything about money because it's not, but we have to start there. I mean, why else would we get up and go torture ourselves day after day after day? We do it because we have to. We need money to survive in this world. But then we, so often we don't take care of our money. And I want to kind of focus on that today because really that's why we do this. Why do we tell people about these deductions so that they can pay less tax? Well, because if they pay less tax, then they have more money they can spend. You know, if we, whether somebody's an employee or or a business owner, when when you become a business owner, it becomes even more important because now you have two financial pictures you have to take care of. And I'm I'm always shocked that people go work so hard at their job, but they put many times zero effort into taking care of the money they earned in that job. Does that make sense? Right. It does. Yeah. I've heard you mention, you know, with me and just in general on the show many times that there's a, there's a hyper focus on the top line revenue. Yes. And someone has a business and they, how do I do this year? Well, what's my top line revenue? What was my gross? And that's really only a part, a piece of the puzzle. It's not the entire thing. You have to look at managing those expenses and that bottom line revenue to really see how you're doing. Yes. And, and we want to maximize. If we're going to go to work, we want to make sure at the end of this, we have as much of that money left over to move to our personal finances as possible. That, that to me is kind of the whole point of running the business. If you're going to work that hard, let's make sure we, we can pull as much of that profit out as we can. We do that by not spending it on things like taxes. You, so the first step in this whole big picture of, of managing our money is we really do have to track it. You know, and I, I know people hate this, but like I say, they will go to work for 80 hours a week, but they won't put two hours a month into just managing the money a little bit. And because they're not managing it, so much of it gets wasted. I mean, in business, we can really waste a lot of money, but this also applies to employees, right? How many people go work really hard as an employee, make a lot of money and struggle their whole life on finances? Have you seen that happen before? Oh, certainly. I mean, you think about something as simple as employer matching on retirement contributions, yet people still don't take advantage of things like that. 
that, little things they can do here and there that can make a big difference. That is free money. And yet the vast majority of people that qualify for it never take the free money. Right. Isn't that crazy? It is. It is. So the, the, the picture here today, take some time, and this is a good time. We're still in the beginning of the year. One of the things that I, I, you know, this is a stressful time if you're in business, right? And especially if you don't have an accounting system, which a, a lot of small business owners and owner operators don't. They throw all their paperwork into a box or a bunch of Walmart bags for the year and wait till they have to go get their tax return done, right? You, you deal with that all the time. That's right. Yeah, we we get some of those Walmart bags on our desk. Yeah. Don't do this. It's so and it's aggravating, it's stressful. You're trying to get now you think, "Oh, I got to get all this stuff together. I don't want to do that." Take the time right now to say, "Look, I this is I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to get an accounting system in place. I'm going to know my numbers." And you know, you mentioned earlier, you don't even have to wait for your forms to come in. I tell people all the time, if you have an accounting system, if you're using our software profit gauges, when you get that last settlement from last year, which is usually the first week in January, you should be done with your accounting. You, you put in December in the first week in January or so, and you're done. And just sit back and wait for your forms to come. That's it. Don't be scrambling around in April um, with a bunch of bags. You, you are losing so much money doing this. You, you put a lot of work and a lot of risk into earning that money. Let's not blow it because we won't put a little bit of time into taking care of it. Then, whether you're a business owner or an employee, we move on to the next step of this, and that is now the profit or what you earned in your job is now yours. This is now your personal money. A lot of people mismanage this as well, and it's shocking to me that the statistics are in this country, as wealthy as we are, as many opportunities as we have, 90% of our population retires and they're dependent on somebody else. 90%. They're either dependent on, you know, government programs or, you know, living with relatives or that is really sad. It, when when we have the ability to earn so much money in our lifetime, and, I, and I'm just talking about the average person in this country can earn an awful lot of money in, you know, 40 or 50 years of working, and yet they end up at the end of it with nothing. And, and it's really not that hard to save money if you just have a plan, right? I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think that one thing that we're combating altogether is human nature. Yes. Human nature is to accelerate enjoyment, defer pain. Uh, you know, when you're talking about getting ready for your uh, taxes and, oh, I'm just, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to work hard <laughs> in my business. And then I'm, and then I'm going to just kind of take, I'll gather some receipts and I'll just, I'll just drop it off at my guy's office and he can figure that out. Well, I mean, that's, that is human nature to procrastinate. That is human nature to, to go that route. But it's so much better to improve yourself and, like you say, have a, have a system. And one of the big benefits is your expectations 
inevitably someone is going to procrastinate. And then they're also going to expect, I don't think it's going to be that bad. <laughs> and then, of course, <laughs> it comes back and it's, it, it's just a disaster, right, compared to their expectations. So much of our happiness comes from how our uh, reality compares to our expectations. Good point. And if we can condition ourselves to, to know exactly or at least have a good idea of, well, I had a great year, therefore I'm going to pay about this much in taxes and I'm educated on the topic and I have accurate books. And when it comes back and it's around that, you feel good because you know, okay, my system's working. Uh, you know, I, 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 I expected that and here we are. You know, you just brought up a, a really good point about expectations. And I, I think this is probably one of the most important years that we could talk about this. Um, my first year as an owner operator is 1986. Uh, I've been doing this a while and I've been watching other owner operators and numbers and taxes that whole time. And we just came out of the, the tax year we are doing right now was record setting. In the entire time I've been in this industry, we've never seen anything like it. Now, Travis, you look at a lot of owner-operator tax returns. You know what the norms are. You know about what to expect. Let me give you this example. One driver, one truck. He's one of our listeners. Actually, you just spoke to his wife, Angie. Uh, she's our call screener. She's been working with us and for us forever as well. Uh, Matt, one truck. It's not a team. And he's the only driver, and he netted, netted last year over three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, just to gross over three hundred is pretty extraordinary. Uh, yeah, his gross was about a half a million, a little over a half a million. One driver, one truck. That's how good last year was. That's incredible. The reason I'm bringing it up again is because you mentioned expectations. And it's human nature, I think, that if we don't have some sort of accounting system, our expectations are going to be incorrect. And, and you're right, they're going to be incorrect in a bad way. People don't realize how much money they made last year. And they'll say, oh, no, I couldn't have. I mean, I, I still owe all this on my credit card. Yeah, but you did earn it. You just didn't realize it. And that's when you spend it. And, and you don't know. It just kind of disappears. And people are like, well, what the hell happened with all my money? Well, this year, I'm really afraid that people are going to be shocked by how much tax they owe. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come in and they make $275,000 a year. And, oh, something came up. They didn't withhold as much. They you know, reduce their withholding or maybe it's a business owner or whatever. And it comes back, okay, you owe, you know, $9,000 in tax. Oh, this is a, how, how am I going to pay that? Right. How, right. You know, uh, what about a payment plan? Yeah. I kind of think to myself, really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, very healthy earnings. So, I get it sometimes in some scenarios, but. Most of the time, not. Most of the time, it's just pure negligence. They they didn't know the numbers. Yeah. They didn't understand the numbers because they weren't paying attention to them. So that's why we're taking all this time right now. We've given you all those fun deductions to help you save a whole bunch of money. Everybody loves those, right? When, when you talk about, hey, look, you could pay your kids to work in your business and here's how much money you save. People love that. We've covered all that. But they that, do. They yeah, do. Do they like paying? 
effort to <laughs> right, really like right. actually document, do the documentation and the paperwork and I don't know about that. You're right. I wish they did. Yeah, and that's why we're trying to convince them that, that those things are great, they exist, we'll, we'll make sure you know about those. But the real key to this is, is them, not us. I mean, there's not much we can do. You've talked about this. By the time they come to you, the year's over. All you're doing is reconciling everything that happened. You can't change any of it. So the real key to paying the least amount of tax is really good record keeping and systems. You know, leave all this other stuff, all these deductions and complicated scenarios, leave that up to your tax preparer. That's what you pay them for. Your job is to take them the best, most accurate numbers. And that's what I, and I even want to extend that into employees and personal finance, manage your money and over a 40 or 50 year career, it is not hard to put aside some money for retirement, but if you don't plan for it, it will never happen. Totally agree. And we haven't even talked about, we're talking about the input of good records and knowing where you're at and being aware of what's, what's allowed and what's possible. We're not even talking about on the back end of having your deductions respected and having the IRS say, okay, we see you've got good records. We see that this is business related. We see that you actually incurred these expenses because that's another part of another benefit as well of having an actual system is if in the event, and it may be unlikely, but in the event that you get audited, having your numbers be respected by the IRS. Good point. Good point. You know, um, one of the things that just came out of the, the last couple of years, you know, we they threatened to hire 87,000 more IRS agents to go after tax cheats and um, because we were talking about that, a lot of statistics came out. And I was a little shocked by them. I, I was actually shocked by the percentage of when you look at who the IRS audits. I was really shocked that it it is heavily skewed towards the people at the bottom. What's with that? Why aren't we going after the people that, that in the higher brackets where there's there's so much more possibility that they've underpaid their tax? But I got thinking about it, and really, the IRS is no different. We talked about human nature before. This is kind of human nature, and then we have to remember this is a government entity. All they're doing is going after the low-hanging fruit. That's the, Those are the easy people to go get more money out of. Right. So there's, there, there's that side of it. I think that also the IRS has probably learned that the more likely that someone has a legitimate operating successful business, the better chance they do have a good system in place and that their audit is not going to yield much because right. everything's in order. Everything is documented. And, you know, I think it's a two edged sword at the bottom side when the income is lower you might have a struggling or a newer business that probably hasn't invested as much time, effort, or money into record keeping. And so they know that there's that side of it, but there's also a lot more fraud on the bottom side because they have these tax credits where you can, uh, you can take, for example, the earned income credit and you can show a little bit of income, 
and you can walk away on a tax return with five or $6,000 of refund that you didn't even pay in. Oh. So they're looking, I think, for that, saying, <laughs> right. let's make sure no one's taking advantage of the system, and let's make sure that these are legitimate businesses that are claiming this this credit. And so on the low end, they do provide that safety net, that credit for someone who is truly struggling, but it makes it a target for fraud. And I think that's skews the, the statistics of the audits. Good point. And for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And if that's the reality, then we have to know we're, we're, you know, when we say we, we're, we're kind of on the bottom rung of that. I mean, we're, we're talking about the kind you when we do owner-operator tax returns, we're kind of talking about the numbers that are right there in the sweet spot. Those are the returns that get audited a lot. So if we know that's the yeah, reality, definitely. then that we're telling you, get prepared for this. We are the target. We're the people the IRS go after all the time. Yeah, I'd also add, I, I do see more audits with uh, sole proprietors than I do with S-Corps. Interesting. I don't know if that's just just by chance yeah. or if the IRS is kind of thinking the same thing, an incorporated business likely has better record keeping. It, it does have better record keeping. There's more right. reported on that tax return. Whereas, I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted to commit fraud as a sole proprietor, it would be very simple. All you have to do. I mean, there's no accounting of your right. trial balance on <laughs> right. a sole proprietor. It's just income and expenses. And if you don't like the bottom number, you could just make up a, an additional expense with no accounting to reconcile that. So, right. Yeah, I yeah. guess that is a I think that probably has something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, you, if you are a sole proprietor, you got to be, you want to make sure that you have really good records. Yes. Yeah. And let's move on to the second part of that. You know, there, there's two parts to what we're talking about. There's taxes and there's accounting. And in general, I like to see owner-operators do their own accounting and pay somebody else to do their taxes. I mean, that's and any more in today's world, employees. Um, I think they should do their own tax return. Most of the time, it's fairly simple um, with some of the changes. Now, once they get into things like owning property, maybe they have some real estate or they've got retirement accounts. That then you might have to start looking at paying somebody to do it again. But as an owner-operator, do your accounting. Don't pay somebody else to do your accounting. And that comes from somebody who my first really successful business was doing accounting for owner-operators. I made an awful lot of money doing that and built a really successful business and helped a lot of people. But I realized I wasn't helping them as much as I could. When, when you hand off that accounting in a business this small, you give up all the insight. You don't, you're not going to understand your numbers correctly if you weren't the one working with them. And, and when I was charging people to do their accounting, I realized that. And I said, wait a minute, I think there's a better way. What if I could just teach them how to do their own accounting and give them software to make it easy? And that's why we created Profit Gages and why we got out of the accounting business because I, I, I don't think, at, at, as a business owner of this size, you should give up that task. I think you should just, and I know people hate it. I hated it. I don't like doing this kind of work. But I, I think you need to, um, in order to understand your own business and your own numbers. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's the best of both worlds, like you say, to make the tools available. But you want an owner-operator, you want them to have their head in the numbers. You don't want them to disassociate and say, well, my bookkeeper takes care of that and whatever it is, it is. No, you know it better than anybody because the bookkeeper is not as invested in your business as you are. Exactly. And so having the correct tools, but also having your own ownership of the numbers, I think is the sweet spot for an owner operator. I agree. And then we'll shift over to the personal side. And this is where I think everybody should be doing their own numbers. And, you know, I think about my lifetime. Um, You know, when I went to work and got my first job and started managing my own money, you know, well, first off, I didn't have a credit card. Um, I had a bank account, but I didn't have, you know, 37 different subscriptions being taken out of my bank account like people have today. Managing money, and we're not talking that long ago. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. Managing money was fairly simple, right? You had cash, you spent the cash, and you had receipts, and it was pretty easy to take care of. Haven't things gotten a lot more complicated with all of our electronic transfers and credit cards and debit cards and subscription payments. And uh, it, it really is a, a much different now to, to do your accounting. I say yes and no. I mean, you have more tools, you have more ability to see it all in one place. If you're organized, but there you go. Good point. Yes. Good point. And I've been talking about this program forever. I'm going to talk about it again today because it's one of the best deals I've seen on the internet. I have used this program for free. I don't even remember how long, 20 years. I'd have to go back and see when they brought it out. Um, It's mint.com. It's run by Intuit, the company that makes TurboTax and QuickBooks. And they've been around since I I bought the first version of uh, Quicken. Back in the 80s, I think, is when that came out, the late 80s. I've been using their programs ever since. Mint.com is free. It's always been free. And it's pretty incredible, the power of that program and what they give you, and they never charge you a penny for it. I've been using it all these years, never paid them a penny. And it's a way to organize your, your personal finances. You know, we gave you profit gauges so you can organize your business finances Mint.com helps you organize your personal finances and it automates most of it. So you go in and, you know, when you go to set this up, now I would plan on a good day or even a weekend to get this set up the first time. But once you do, like you just talked about earlier, this is an incredible tool to be able to see your finances in a way that makes sense. And I'm going to bring it down to one number on your personal finances, you can track to know how well you're doing in life with your money. So let's just walk through how we would set this up. We'd go to mint.com, we'd sign up for an account, and then we start to put in the accounts that we have access to online, all of our financial data that we have access to online. So your bank account, everybody today has a login for their bank account. So you just put your login information into Mint, and that will pull all that data from your bank and start to categorize all the transactions for you. It will look at something and go, oh, yeah, that's a utility, and it categorizes it for you, and it gets about 95% of them right. 
and you go in and you got to play around with maybe 5% of your numbers each month. Doesn't take long at all. So now we have all of the information that we run through our bank. If our debit card is on there, all that gets taken in. Now we can move on. Do you have a savings account? Okay, let's put in that login. It pulls all that information into Mint. Do you have a mortgage? And can you log into it online? Put that in. All your credit cards that you have logins for, you put them in. It Mint starts pulling data from all of these things and categorizing it for you. It's a really incredible program. It's free. And then you have reports that you can look at. And just to simplify it, in my personal finance, most of the time, I'm only looking at one number. That's kind of my scorecard. Then if I need to, I can go look at all this other stuff and say, well, what can I do to make something better? But for the most part, um, that number that I look at is just net worth. Just net worth, one number, focus on it. And the goal is we just wanted to get bigger over time, right? Right. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I, I don't use Mint. I I do my own spreadsheet and I... I figured, you know, right. I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> I know, that's, right. That's who I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do kind of a quarterly update and yeah, I, but it all comes down to that same one number and that's kind of how I track my long-term progress. It That number really tells us where we are in the world financially. It, net worth, the calculation is basically... What do you own and what do you owe? So if we make a big list of all of the stuff we own and how much it's worth, and then you add that up and we get a big number. We, we own all this stuff. We own a home that might be worth 300000 Now, somebody's going to say, oh, yeah, but I have a mortgage on that. I know. We're going to take care of that. We're going to put your mortgage in here, too. But right now, we're just going to put in the value of your home. That's your asset. You know what's really cool about Mint? If you put in your address, it goes out and uses tools like Zillow, and it will put in the value of your home for you and keep it current. Yeah, it's amazing. Same thing with cars. Put in a a vehicle and put in all the information about your vehicle. It uses Kelly Blue Book and other services and values your vehicle and keeps it updated every day. So now we, we've, got our, we've got our bank accounts. We can start putting in our assets. This, this does about 90% of your personal accounting for you. Once you attach all these things, then you have access to all of this data and charts and tables and reports. And, you know, but to really simplify it, if you go to mint.com, when you open up your site down on the bottom, you're going to see your net worth. And really track that number. That's the one that really tells us how we're doing. What do we own? How much do we owe? And what's left over? And is it possible that the number left over could be a negative? Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Not a good sign, though, right? Greater than your assets. If you're underwater on some of your assets, not a good sign, but definitely possible. Yeah. And, and, and just so we can put a visual to this, this is what it would mean. If you had a negative net worth, if we list everything you own and the value, we list everything you owe, people you still have to pay. And we said, look, we're, we have to clear the books. 
We're going to go sell everything you own, everything, except just the clothes that are on your back. You're going to be standing in the street with nothing. We're going to sell it all. We're going to take all that money. We're going to pay all the people that you owe money to. And if you have a negative net worth, the money's going to run out. You're still going to owe people money and you're standing in the street with nothing. That's what it means to have a negative net worth. That's not a pretty picture, is it? No, but it happens. It happens in these recessionary, you know, people who get over leveraged and, uh, you know, the assets take a plunge. Well, the debt does not change. And so that's that's how people get there. And or could just be totally irresponsible consumer spending or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. No doubt. Um, And right now, the statistics are horrendous. Some of the worst I've seen around these kinds of numbers. The savings rate for people in this country has plummeted. Now, part of the reason for that is, is we actually, during the pandemic, was everybody was locked down and the government was handing out money like lollipops. Um, the, the national savings rate went up over 30%. We've never seen anything like that in my lifetime. But it has plummeted now. It's way down into the single digits now. The savings rate in this country is atrocious, and the credit card debt has gone through the roof. Those are not good signs. Yeah, I, I, would, I would add, Kevin, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world if you do have a negative net worth. It just means you've got hard work and austerity ahead of you. Good you point. need to work hard yes. and save money. And if you'll do that, you'll dig out and, and you'll be, end up being okay. It, that it really is the lesson here is that this is not a life sentence unless you ignore it. If you ignore it, it, it right. more than likely will become a life sentence. This is how you will manage your money your entire life. If you don't change something, you have to change the way you relate to your money. How many times have we heard this phrase, and, and there really is some truth to it, and look at the statistics, it's happening. The rich get rich and the poor get poor, right? I would say everyone's getting richer in today's <laughs> well, world. I mean, you right? look at the, the poverty yeah. numbers, extreme poverty is way down. And so everyone's standard of living's going up. Now, some at a yeah. different rate than others, yes. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, it, it's not that that statement isn't true. You can go look at it. Statistically, it is somewhat true, but it always seems to be said as though it's some sort of a conspiracy and that, you know, the, the universe is out to get us. That, that's not the case here. There's a really simple explanation for why this happens. Once somebody learns how to manage their money, and if they are, if, if we're saying, well, they're rich and they just keep getting richer, well, that tells us something. In order to become rich, you had to manage your money well. Or you won the lottery and, you know, we could go down that. That's not a, a good thing, really. And But you got rich because you understood money. You knew how to make enough money. You knew how to manage it and save it. And you became wealthy, whatever that number is. Well, why do we think anybody that has achieved that would wake up one morning and forget how to do that and all of a sudden become poor? They're not going to do that. They're going to keep doing all the things that got them to where they are already, and they'll probably keep getting wealthier. 
On the other hand, if people right. mismanage money, if they overspend, if they ignore their money, if they don't do these things, then they keep losing money. They keep getting further behind because of inflation or bad luck or whatever. But what are the odds that that's going to spontaneously change? It's not. They're going to keep getting less wealthy if that's the direction they've been going in, unless they make a change. And that's the whole point of what we're talking about right now. We want people to make that change. Right. I think the opportunity in the, in the world is better than it's ever been. I mean, upward mobility, anyone has the opportunity to be in that top 10% of earners. And it, who's up there changes all the time. We don't have, uh, you know, a country where it's kind of a, you're kind of stuck where you're right. at. Nope. There's opportunity, it, it, but it, it comes down to personal responsibility. You, you got to decide, you know, you're going to be responsible. And if you want, you know, to be aggressive and, and get into business and, and do things, there's opportunities out there. No doubt. There really is. Yeah, there really is. So that, that, is the point of all of this we've done so far this morning. I know we haven't given you any fun, sexy tax deductions, but we gave you a ton of those. And the real key is what we're talking about right now. If you don't do what we're talking about right now, forget all that other stuff, because it's not going to matter much. If you don't take care of the basics first. And, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about all this stuff we just talked about, I can understand how for some people it sounds overwhelming. Most things when we don't understand them seem overwhelming. But I can tell you if you just get in and do this, that one time, bite the bullet, take a weekend, go someplace really cool, reward yourself, go to the beach, go to the mountains, take a weekend off, but take this with you and work on it. You know, do it in a beautiful place, give yourself a reward for finally getting it done, but get it done because once you do, this is not hard to take care of. You can almost put this on autopilot. Once you do the initial hard work, you can just about put this on autopilot. It's not much work after that. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally on board with, with that. That's a great idea. All right. I should tell you, Kevin, I do have a, at nine o'clock today, so got it. We're probably have to talk that a little bit earlier. That's okay. We're going to jump right into uh, some calls right now. Then uh, we're going to get started in Florida. Matt, welcome, uh, Travis. By the way, um, this is Matt, the one I was talking about earlier with the uh, with the crazy oh. numbers this year. Great. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. What's up? Um. So, yeah, I've missed the last two times you've been on the air, so I'm going to start back from your very first time. And, Kevin, you started with, you know, getting stuff done in early because it was the very first week of January. Right. And that week I had gotten an email from my CPA stating for corporate returns, I am a full-blown S-Parp, that their cutoff is Monday, February 6th. If your paperwork isn't in by February 6th, they would not guarantee yeah. your corporate return getting filed without an extension. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, there, there's, you know, it's a, it's a crazy time for these tax preparers. It it's, seems like a crazy system. You cram, you know, a year's worth of work into two months is what it feels like. 
Right. Yeah. And then uh, you were talking about the progressive tax code. Yeah. And the graduated brackets. Uh, President Abraham Lincoln was the first one to sign that in. <laughs> okay, so it's been, it's around, been around a little a while. while. <laughs> it's been around a little while. Yep. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't think that matters um, much to us. So, yep. Uh, my biggest question is, uh, like you're talking today with investing, uh, just one quick comment about mint.com. They, uh, they did the same thing you did, Kevin, with ProfitGate. So normally on a P&L, we're looking and down to the what we call the bottom line, your, your net income. Right. And that's at the very bottom. You took and moved that all the way to the top. So that's I, the first number you see. I did, when you look yeah. look at a business. Right. And Mint used to be that way. Your net worth was after you scroll down their whole page – at the very bottom was your net worth. That's now at the top of the page. Yeah, you, you know, I, I I didn't catch that. You're right. It is. Travis, I, this goes back to, you know, when I first started developing profit gauges and laying out the reports. And, uh, you know, I was working on what we called our business report, which is kind of a, an expanded profit and loss kind of thing. And, you know, that, that we even have a phrase, right? We use it all the time. The bottom line. What's the bottom line? Where did that come from? Well, came from a profit loss statement. The bottom line is the, the number you're trying to get to. How much profit did you have left over? And I got thinking, mm-hmm. if, we, if we always talk about the bottom line and it's so damn important, why don't we just put it at the top instead? Yeah, I mean, your product's called profit gauges. <laughs> right, right. So when you open net it up, the, the first thing I want you to see across the top is your net profit. Why, why wait? Why leave it till the end? I want to see it right now. Yeah. And uh, so a little personal thing here, and I guess it's bragging in a way, but it just shows the market changing and different things. Uh, Kevin, I mentioned, you know, last year was a phenomenal year business-wise, and I invested a lot of money, but my net worth only went up by $35,000. That's a low year for you. A that's a really the beginning low of the year. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I, I know enough about your numbers to know if that's the case, uh, your investments haven't done all that well this year. <laughs> well, that was last year. Well, right, last year, I mean, that yeah, the right, year. right. January, I've already added 35000 to my net worth. Isn't that year. crazy? The market's rebounding. Yeah, the market's so volatile right now. Um, but it, the real lesson no. here is you know these numbers. That, this is what we're trying to get across to somebody. It doesn't matter right now whether your net worth is $2.2 million or $30,000 in the hole. N- none of that matters right now. What matters is getting it organized and making it better. Well, and yeah, that's the first step is is knowing the numbers That's it. and then paying attention to them. Yep. So my biggest question for Travis is uh, a suggestion my CPA brought up, and I'm just in the beginning stages of learning this and, and all that, so looking for a second opinion because I don't understand it yet. And that is trying to bring some of my 
taxable income down and my pass-through from the corporation, she has suggested that my corporation start buying stocks. And then eventually, at some point, those will get transferred to me personally, and that will be a capital gains tax instead of income. The corporation Do you know buys anything stocks, about that? you said? Yep. Yeah, it starts its own... Uh, um, brokerage account. Uh, this is an S corporation, I presume. Yeah. I would disagree that you want your S corporation owning investments like stocks in any kind of service business, you know, like a CPA firm or like a, you know, trucking operation, you have some liability, right? You could, incur liability through your business activities for which, yeah, you have insurance, but there could be a lawsuit out there. You want to minimize the assets that that lawsuit can reach and having investments that, that could be and should be, in my opinion, on your personal and in your personal ownership in your business just, just allows that lawsuit to reach them a lot easier. Not saying they can't reach them when they're, you know, when they're on personally, but it creates a separation, a legal separation that I think can be useful. The other thing to think about is when a corporation buys stocks, it doesn't get to write that off. That's an investment. It goes on the balance sheet as an asset. So it doesn't reduce the income that you pay tax on in the year that you buy it. You're still taxed on the same income. You just don't have as much cash because it's locked up in that brokerage account on the personal. I'd rather... I'd rather see you take the distributions of the, of the net earnings from the business and then invest it personally after you pay tax. And yeah, I mean, I like the long-term strategy is you, the, next, the next income event is going to be taxed at capital gains rates after these stocks have gone up, presumably. And so it's a good long-term strategy to invest in equities because your tax rate on them is going to be a lower capital gains rate, but I don't like doing it in the business. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Kevin and I have already talked about this because I don't understand yet. We didn't have time to really dig into it with my CPA. That's why I say it's just research mode right now. Um, just trying to think through it that let's just say you bought one share for $1,000. So that, thousand dollars became an asset of the corporation so at that time it, it really doesn't show as revenue there would be no tax that year as long as you know you're wrong. It there just sitting wrong okay. so yeah when you look at your profit and loss your profit and loss encapsulates all of your business operations what did you earn in revenue and what are your related expenses? But what you do with that net profit at the end of the day, whether that stays in your cash account, whether it goes to pay off debts that are on your balance sheet, or whether that gets distributed to the owner as a distribution, that's secondary. It doesn't change what the profit and loss shows, and it doesn't change what you're going to be paying tax on on a K-1. So you can okay. take that net profit and you can invest it into equities and, and put those on your balance sheet, but it doesn't change your taxable income from the business. Okay. 
Okay, so yeah, so there is no advantage at all. Yeah, so yeah, my problem. No. I'm in the twenty-four percent. I, o- I, I only see so a downside. I can get to a fifteen. Okay. Well, the other, I mean, I would, I would give you another reason I wouldn't do it. S corporations, if you're not careful, there are some ways in which you could have your S election revoked. Oh, there's a, I mean, there, there's a few different ways it could happen, but it does happen every once in a while. And when your S election gets revoked, your S corporation is now a C corporation. C corporations <laughs> do not get uh, preferential capital gains rates. They pay capital gains at the same tax rate as ordinary income, and you pay a double tax on income in the corporation because then you have to take out as a dividend the after-tax cash after the corporation pays tax. So another potential reason not to do it that way. But I, I would steer away from, from buying investments in your business unless it's for operating purposes. If you need, uh, if you have operating capital, working capital that you need to have in there for operations, but you don't have a good place to put it and you're going to put it in a money market or you're going to put it in some kind of short-term investment to get a little bit of return, but you need that cash in there, then yeah, that's a different type of thing. But a long-term kind of personal uh, investment, I would not do through your business. Okay. Yeah. And that's the way I do it now. I mean, I leave plenty of money in the corporate checking accounts to cover, you know, worst case scenario, losing an engine, whatever. And then anything above that, you know, taking in distributions and personally investing it. There you go. All right. Hey, Matt, we're going to move along. I want to get one more call in before we have to let Travis go. We're going to go to Texas. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, fellas. Good morning. What's on your Um, mind? So, hey, uh, yeah, so I'm on my way back home from New York, and it's on my understanding my 1099 and my W-2 are there, and I took four days off. So I'm going to be uploading all that stuff to y'all's portal, Travis, and working with Blake soon. Great. Um, yeah, but I have a question. So, um, I, I, I bought this truck this year, paid way too much for it. <laughs> um, I'm going to have probably like 60,000 something dollars in, in, uh, you know, write-offs for repairs and stuff. And I was going to depreciate it, right? Take, take a little depreciation up front and try to come up with a zero tax liability this year. But I'm considering buying a new truck. And, um, so I, I want to know what the tax tax implications are. Like, should I take depreciation or not? Because if I turn around and sell this truck, there'll be the recapture of the, of the, what we, um, you know, there'll be the recapture of that. But I'm thinking whenever I sell this truck, I'm going to take probably a $30,000 loss on it. So it'll be a wash either way. So what would you, would you recommend just filing the taxes as my situation is right now and then d- dealing with it later or, or what? I, I don't know. So first of all, you say you, you bought the truck this year. You're, you're meaning the year we're looking at 2022, or you mean the year we're in 2023? No, no. Yeah. Last year I bought it last year and put it and then, you know, uh, became leased on as an owner operator, August 1st. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I would, first of all, I would make the distinction, the IRS and Congress and the tax law, you don't have the option of depreciating or not, because if you don't take depreciation, 
you're still supposed to reduce the basis in the asset by the depreciation that you could have taken. So we want to take depreciation and get that, get that deduction. The question is, do we want to accelerate or do we want to just take the minimum amount based on the maker's tables? And I would say if you're planning on replacing that truck, the, the accelerated depreciation uh, that we could take on the new one could offset the, uh, the recapture income from the sale of the first one when you, when you eventually replace that truck. So I would say we're not too worried about the income hit on the back end as long as you're going to be replacing it because we could accelerate depreciation on the, on the replacement truck to offset that, that hit. So I would say I wouldn't worry too much about the back end. I would look at this year and try to create a strategy where we're being smart with your tax rates. And, you know, I don't know that we want to pay zero tax. Sometimes that's not the best way to go either. We want to, we might want to use up the lower brackets and because whatever we pay tax at now leaves us deductions for later. If we're going to have, if we're going to be in a higher bracket, we might wish that we'd have had some income recognized in an earlier year when it could have been at 10 or 12%. So that might we we might want to recognize a little bit of income this year. So we'll probably okay. do some maybe some combination of some accelerated depreciation, or maybe none. Maybe we just take the minimum. Okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds good because I, I heard y'all talking about how the owner operators are the ones that are targeted by the IRS, and I you know I want y'all to be aggressive, but I don't want to do anything that's gonna you know throw up any red flags because i am a sole proprietor i don't even have i don't have an llc or any of that set up yet s corp w2 payroll taxes that's the next step for me which yeah i i, I would caution everyone as well listening i hope that we didn't scare you with, with with some of that talk about how the irs looks at sole proprietors more often i think they do if you have a legitimate business and you have good records, you have nothing to be worried about in the case of an IRS audit. Right. You can prove and document your expenses. You don't need to be worried about an audit. It's an inconvenience, but it really shouldn't change anything because you know, they're really looking when they, they're really looking for someone who is writing off a hobby or they're making up expenses, that type of thing. That's, that's what really, uh, you know, they're, they're on the prowl for, if you, if everything's in order, they're not going to cause you any problems in my experience. Well, I, I got a P and L from profit gauges. I also have a P and L from, I don't use mint. Uh, I use, uh, I use Intuit QuickBooks for self. It's probably close to the same thing, but I have P and L from both of those. And so me get my taxes in this list. Oh, hey, Brian, you are really starting to break up pretty bad, and I need to jump in anyway. Travis, I see it's 9 o'clock, so we got to let you go. Um, thank you so much. It's been an awesome series. We'll, we've got this all together. People can go back and listen to it all from start to finish. A lot of great information in there, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. I know you're about to get really busy, but uh, at some point, during this tax season, we maybe bring you back just for Q and A. I would love that. Perfect. All right. Thanks we'll, for having me. We'll again. let you get on with your day. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. 
All right. Thanks, Ken. Take care. All right. Uh, I've got some calls coming in. We are rolling into a free-for-all here. Uh, first hour is down and in the books. It's now a free-for-all. Anything goes. Pick up the phone and join us. 855 950 3835. You know, talking today about um, net worth and and that number, being able to focus in on just that one number, and it tells us how we're doing financially. Now, if we want to do better or figure out why we may not be growing that number as much as we want to, then of course we could go dig into the underlying numbers. But it's it, we're not telling you you have to become an accountant. We're not telling you you have to become a financial planner and you've got to look at this stuff every day. It, not even close. Once you, I'm just going to say, if you're an owner operator, get profit gauges. There, there is nothing out there better or easier. Then for personal finance, get Mint. There's nothing out there better or easier. With those two tools, sit down, do this one time, and then you really don't need to look at your numbers more than about once a month, if that. Really, personal finance, if you wanted to look at once a quarter even. We're not talking about something you've got to do every day, not even close. Get it done. Get the hard work done up front. Then you have all this data and it, it's just easy. I mean, I, you can open up profit gauges and review your numbers in about five minutes. You could open up Mint and review your numbers in about five minutes. And, and that's it. Um, our next release of profit gauges is going to work a lot like Mint. We actually modeled it after Mint. Why reinvent the wheel? Where profit gauges now will become as automated as Mint is. Meaning if you have a business credit card, you'll be able to put it in and pull in all your transactions and have them categorized. Your bank account information will be pulled in. So that's our, our next update on profit gauges. So use these two tools get the hard work done. And I, I'm not going to try to kid you in the, in the beginning. It is hard work. It sucks. You got to go find all these accounts and you got to get the passwords and it, it, it's work. It really is. I don't like doing this kind of work. I really don't. This is not what I like to spend my time on. Once you get it done though, then it's really easy. I do like to open up mint and just see my numbers and, and not have to do any real work but know how well I'm doing or not. Um, I'm pretty sure um, 2023, uh, there's a really good chance my net worth going down this year. Um, we, we managed to kind of struggle through 2022. And, and when I say struggle, we're doing okay. Um, not nearly as good as we were the year before. And we're heading into a, a tough economy. We're now out on our own and independent. Um, but I have all that information. It's right in front of me. I can see it. And I don't have to do any, any real work anymore. Um, so a, a couple things I'm going to start focusing on with numbers. Two numbers. Let's think about what's really important in life. And we've talked about something called keystone habits. When you change a keystone habit, then 
a lot of other areas in your life tend to get better just by default. The two biggest keystone habits that I've found are the habits you have around money and health. We don't want to make money everything, but money is critically important to live in this world. Unless you're willing to go, you know, create a life where money isn't important. There's nothing wrong with that. But for, the, for most of us, the money is important. It, it means a, a lot of what our life is going to be like, how much money we have. Uh, money can be a really powerful tool to do a lot of good. So we find when people improve their habits around money, it's what we call a keystone habit, everything else seems to get a little better. That's a good thing. There's one more habit that's an even bigger keystone habit than money, and that's health. So I think two numbers you're, you're going to start hearing me focus on a lot. Uh, we, we've been talking about one all day today, net worth. I mean, that's a, that is the one number we should focus on to know the health of our finances. HRV is a number we can look at to know the health of our body. If I have to pick one number for health, the way we use net worth for, for personal finance, if I had to pick one number to track for health after all these years of testing and tracking numbers and um, doing a lot of blood work and analysis and, and figuring out what what is the best indicator of how healthy we are. Now, it also has to be an indicator that we can measure easily. You know, I don't want an indicator that we would have to go give blood at a lab and, and wait for the numbers to come back. HRV can now be um, measured with a ton of wearable devices. It, it's, it, I've been working with HRV for about five or six years, and six years ago, there was almost nothing on the market. Now, many of the wearables on the market can measure HRV. Heart rate variability is what HRV is. Very different from just heart rate. Heart rate variability. That's the number I now focus on for health. There's one number I'm going to look at and try to constantly improve. It's going to be my HRV, just like I look at net worth in personal finance and try to improve that. So you're going to be hearing a, a, a lot more about those two things uh, in all the projects we're working on. Uh, phones are really quiet today. I'm going to wait a, a couple more minutes here, um, and then I may wrap this up. We do have rolling toe today at 10 o'clock Pacific time, so that's about 50 minutes from now. Uh, if we have questions, I'll stay here till then. But right now, uh, phone lines are quiet. So I'll give you a couple more minutes here if you want to jump in, uh, and then I'm going to wrap this up. And don't forget, at 10 o'clock, um, Mike and Kevin Beckett will be on for Rolling Toe. We have both John and Joel confirmed for tomorrow, Trucking Technology and Efficiency. So looking forward to that show. We haven't talked to John in a while. John's been out uh, working pretty hard on the racetracks, I believe. So uh, I'm sure he'll have... a ton of stuff to update us on. Joel's been 
um, busy with all the testing he's been doing, which is uh, which has been awesome. So we'll get some updates on all that stuff tomorrow. You know, uh, calls are starting to come in, so I'm going to wait a couple minutes while we screen these. Um, on on uh, Healthy Tribe yesterday, um, one of the members posted his results, and and it was just an incredible testimonial. Uh, I, I love the the testimonials that we get. You know, on the air, people call and say what their results have been. When people post them with numbers, I like them even better. And and I was just talking about HRV. Um, this person posted their HRV gains. Now, here was the scenario. They started carnivore on January 1st. So somebody had a New Year's resolution. They've stuck to it for the month. No doubt about that. Uh, started on January 1st with carnivore and the stress protocol. The four things, and, and we haven't really released the stress protocol officially yet, the whole thing, but I've been telling people this is what it is. I'll just tell you so you can get started on this stuff. And he did. He, he took that advice. He got started on the stress protocol. He's doing the Wim Hof breathing, the X3 bar, the um, infrared sauna, the, uh, what are we forgetting there? Um, oh, the cold exposure as well. One month, one month. His results were incredible. Really, you should go to uh, healthytribe.com and, and read it. Scroll through the feed there, you'll find it. Um, just incredible results. Lost like 30 pounds in a month, which I, I know that's the number we expect to see it. We see it over and over. I'm still always blown away by it. Lost 30 pounds in a month and was never hungry. That's the real beauty of, of doing this right. All of his numbers improved, dropped a couple pants sizes, feels better than he has in decades in 30 days. What a powerful transformation that is. Absolutely love that. All right, let's, uh, let's get to some calls because it looks like they're starting to pile up here. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kevin? I got a couple of things. I guess you blew the phones up. I was on with Angie. She's like, oh, my God. Well, you got a, you got a backup coming. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you got to be careful what you wish for. Well, I, right, I couldn't uh, so believe how quiet I'm, it I gotta, was. You know, I was, sometimes I wander around the studio when I'm talking and I'm not looking at the, the call board. And I walked back to the, my computer to see it, expecting I'd have three or four or five calls there, and there's none. So I thought I'd. Well, you know what it is. People are, li- people are listening. <laughs> I know. And not okay. trying to call yeah. in. Yeah. So That's now it. they're all calling. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, I, I, I'm a company driver, obviously. And um, I, didn't they come out with some new tax thing or bill they're going to sign this year for like a, if you make less than, I think it was like $85,000 that you got a certain tax credit. Did you hear anything about that? Uh, well, here's the thing. You hear about this kind of stuff all the time. Because, you know, right. if people in Congress can write bills and proposals whenever they want, and they do all the time. So, you know, it'll make the news, oh, this. Well, let's think about this. If you, if you want to talk about stuff that's been in the news on taxes, uh, Kevin McCarthy actually reintroduced the fair tax. Right. I mean, there's, so there's always something about taxes being talked about in Congress. I don't start paying attention to them until they actually pass the bill. 
Okay. All right. So that's what yeah, I got. Now, believe now it was. Me, I, got, I tried me, doing a little research. Let, let me correct something because that's not true what I just said. I pay attention to all of these while they're happening, while they're being proposed in Congress so that I could make people aware, hey, this is a lousy bill. Let, you know, reach out to your representatives. Let's let's tell them, no, we don't want this. I watch it for things like that, but I don't try to look at their tax proposals and start figuring out how that might affect people because most of these never make it to law anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just for them to look good. They're trying to do something and yeah, keep their once, smiling. Once they <laughs> pass it, then they have to start, you know, writing the law itself. Then the IRS has to get it worked into their regulations. That's when we actually start paying attention to it and trying to learn it. But not okay. un- up until that point, I watch it just so I know what shenanigans they're trying to pull this time. <laughs> All right. Now, I, this is really weird now with me. I stopped taking Burberry's. I mean, like I said, I had a rough, to say a rough, I had a, the holidays were, I, you know, I strayed, obviously. But I got on the scale yesterday, and I've been eating, I mean, since the end, the beginning of the year, clean and all that, and I, I gained like 15 pounds. I'm like, I don't know where it came from. I only thing only thing I changed the only thing I stopped doing was taking berberine. So the, I, the, I don't see how that. Well, I, I it it can. Um, berberine impacts our hormones. We know that. That's one of the reasons why it works. It works similar to metformin, uh, which is a diabetic drug. Uh, berberine is just as powerful when it comes to blood sugar. And when we start messing with blood sugar, we're messing with hormones and things. You know, typically, if you get blood sugar under control, weight should go down. But it's not always quite that simple. So the the quick test here is go back on the berberine for a month or two and see what happens. Okay. Yeah, I I don't have it. And I do have a... uh, I, I mean, I, I used to check my blood sugar and all that, that when I first started doing it, but I, you know, I was oh, no, sick of myself all the time. Wait, and, wait, I, and then I once wait, I got, wait, you were on the berberine when you gained the weight. No, now we want to stay off the berberine for a while no, and see what happens. No, no, I was, when I was, I, I didn't gain the weight. I stopped the berberine and then I gained weight. Oh, oh, I That's misunderstood. That makes total sense to me. That's exactly what we would expect. Okay. All right. Because I'm like, I mean, again, when when our when we become insulin resistant is when we start gaining weight. Berberine helps improve our insulin sensitivity. That's why it helps us lose weight. So when you stopped it and, and now you're you're you. And, and it's not a huge change, but you, you've made a change. You're not as insulin sensitive right now without the berberine, and you gained some weight. That makes total sense. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I was like I said, I, 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 I had a couple of, you know, I did things I, I shouldn't do, but I there's no way I packed that weight on. I've done it before. I've been doing this for five years or right, better. Right. You know what I mean? I, there's no way. I've never seen this happen. And... 
in the beginning, I really didn't take berberine all the time. When I started taking the berberine, I had more results, and I was also able to maintain if I did go and stray and have, you know, yeah. on the weekend, have a couple of beers or whatever, you know what I mean? But now I'm like, I look down and I'm like, I'm like, you know, fat. And I, so I, I, I put myself on a scale, which I, I stopped doing. I feel good, right. but I've been feeling sluggish and, and, and stopping, and, and now, I just couldn't figure it out. I'm like, here's how to beat it then. Does, does, hey, I'm pretty sure when you go back on berberine, you're going to lose that weight again. But does that mean you have to be on berberine the rest of your life? No, it doesn't. And you no, can right. keep That's, experimenting yeah. with this. You go back on the berberine for a while and then six months down the road or maybe even less, maybe three months, you stop it again. And, and let's see what happens. Okay. The longer we eat this way, the more results we seem to get. It's like it, you know, we always, we get that big hit up front. Our pain goes away. We lose weight. We have great energy. Our brain, you know, works better. And then we kind of get used to that after a while. But if we really pay attention, I mean, I'm looking, I've been doing this for eight years now, a little over. Things are still changing in a good way. I am much, much healthier now at 60. uh, I'm almost 60. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm actually excited about being 60. Um. (laughs) <laughs> I'm healthier than I was at 50. Way healthier. And it's not, it, it's not, right, it hasn't yeah. really stopped. It's slowed down a lot, but there are still things that continue to get better. Yep. All right. Yeah, that did, like I said, I just couldn't now, figure it out. All right. Let, I appreciate let's, that, Kev. Let, let's, throw in, let's throw in one more thing here. What have we been talking about for the sure. last several months? These these goofy celebrities and all these people mimicking celebrities taking toxic diabetic drugs like Ozempic to right. lose weight. Well, metformin is a diabetic drug. Berberine is a supplement that acts like diabetic drugs, and it can help us lose weight. It's not what we we don't put a real big focus on that, but it, it it's the same principle. Any of these drugs, whether they're toxic or not, if they're managing hormones and and blood sugar levels, they'll have an impact on weight. Now, to me, to go take a toxic drug with all these potential horrible side effects to lose. And here's the other problem. I just told you, you will not have to take berberine for the rest of your life. If you eat properly, which you're doing, and you take the berberine and the supplements, at some point you'll be able to quit and your metabolism will be healthy. What we're trying to get across to these people is the, all the evidence is there. Ozempic and Wagovi might help you control weight, but only when you take them. If you stop taking them, the weight piles back on quickly. Right, yeah. See, but I'm not diabetic. I was never diabetic. Well, well I you don't say know that. that. I probably was. Yeah, right. right. No, I know. No, you're absolutely right. That's why I stopped myself. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. I, I, I've been listening long enough to, to, to know that. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, I probably was diabetic. And then when I started eating clean and with the metformin, I mean, I've been with the uh, berberine. It probably, you know, made, helped me maintain a good blood yeah, sugar exactly so i guess yeah. i'll just like i said i'll have to, have to pick some up and give it a break there you a go shot. all right kev thanks i appreciate it. let someone else get in there have You're a good welcome. day thanks for the call let's go to indiana this time jeff welcome to the program yeah 
Um, expound upon the HRB a little bit, what you were talking about when you just asked for callers, and is that um, gotten from the Garmin Watch you sell? Uh, yes, the, the Garmin Instinct and Instinct 2 can both read HRV. The Instinct 2, the newer version, has some upgraded HRV. Uh, both of them will measure the raw number. The newer model displays it. We talk about it all the time as instant stress. Um, there's some other numbers we can get out of it, but... HRV stands for heart rate variability. Now, a lot of people are familiar right. with heart rate and, you know, wearables. That was one of the first things wearables could do for us. They could count our steps and they could give us our heart rate. That's a, we can get our own heart rate by putting our finger you know, over a vein somewhere and counting the heartbeats and then multiplying it into a minute. I mean, that's how easy it is to get heart rate. Heart rate variability, very, very different. Don't ever confuse these two things. So in heart rate variability, what we're measuring, if somebody says my heart rate is 60 beats per minute, which is pretty common, that would be a fairly common number, it would be logical to assume, oh, wow, their heart beats every second, once every second, and then you would get 60 beats in a minute. If that were accurate, if your heart was truly beating once every second precisely, you would be almost dead. That's actually not a good thing. We don't want a consistent heart rate variability. We want variability. That's what we're talking about. So what we want, and this is what the device is measuring, we're measuring this time in between heartbeats. So in, in this beat to the next beat was, let's say, 0.7 seconds, like seven tenths of a second. Then what we want, the next beat, the space in between, maybe it's 1.4 seconds, double, and then maybe it drops to 0.5, and we want it to be all over the place. We don't want that number to be consistent. We want it to vary. Right. And then we take that reading, whatever it is, and we put it into a scale, and we say, okay, your heart rate variability is 33. Well, what does 33 mean? Nothing really. It's just a scale Correct. we created. Now, the goal, just okay. like just like net worth, the goal of HRV, I want the number to get bigger. Just like my net worth. It don't make it any more complicated than that. I want my HRV number to go right. higher. That's what we're shooting for. So the, I'm, look, I'm looking at Trent, Trenton's number. So he started at 32 and went to 41. That's incredible. That is a huge okay. climb in HRV in just 30 days. So just say, now I don't know if this goes up logarithmically, but say you started at 41, would going up nine points to 50 be the same as going up nine points from 32 to 41? Am I making sense? Yeah, somewhat, but just like most things, like fuel mileage, when we start at five, it's easy to get to six. Start at 10 and find out how gotcha. hard it is to get to 11. 
You know, it, it's the same way right. here with okay. HRV. It's not that it isn't. So it's log, logarithmic. Yeah, that's some of it. It is. But it's also, like, if it, let's say you're starting with a low HRV. Let's say you're at 30. And we want to be at 80. I know people who are over 100. Um, we would look at oh, it. We could okay. say, okay, all of these things we can improve. You know, if you work on your breathing, if you work on your mindfulness, if you use the infrared sauna, if you do more resistance training, if you do cold exposure, we can lay out. We, we, I'm actually testing two devices now that are showing a lot of promise for improving HRV and you do nothing but put these things on and lay down. You just lay there and, and their headphones or, you know, I'm testing, I've tested about 30 of these things that all claim they can improve HRV. I actually have found two that are showing a lot of promise. I'm not ready to put out the names yet. But so if we were to look at all the things we could do to improve our HRV and we started doing them and then our HRV goes from 30 to 40 to 50. Well, at some point, aren't we running out of things we can do? Right. No, I, yeah, I got so that, you. If you, I mean, you if, right. If there's 100 points on the test and you got 100, no matter what you do, you can't get more. Right. And, and when I'm at 30, there's so many things I can do to improve it that getting to 40 isn't all that tough. This guy did it in 30 days. He made this huge improvement gotcha. in 30 days. When you start getting so, up to 60, 70, 80, you're, you're not going to be able to make those big improvements anymore. Gotcha. So what you got to do is go a 30, 60 day, get a baseline and then, and then see how they change. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say there's, there's one other factor in HRV and I don't want to complicate things too much because we, our goal is to get that number up. There is another factor in HRV we look at and it's balanced or unbalanced. We can be balanced. Okay. If we're balanced, that's what we want. So we want our number to go up and we want it to stay balanced. We can get unbalanced okay. on the low side and the high side. And here's how we're measuring this. We take a running seven-day average. So we take your, H- your overnight HRV every night, and then we average the last seven days. And then there's a range. If you stay within that seven-day average, maybe a little lower, a little higher, you're balanced. But if your seven-day average was 47, Ah. and all of a sudden, you know, you go out and drink alcohol, that'll wipe it out quickly. You know, all of a sudden, you're you're 15 points below your seven-day average. Now you're going to be unbalanced to the low side. You're probably going to feel a lack lack of energy. You're not going to have a lot of motivation. Um now we could do the opposite. Let's say we're watching the seven day average and all of a sudden we shoot 10 points above our seven day average. I just experienced this last month. I went like 20 points above my seven day average. And you know what? I had energy out the wazoo. I was running around like the energizer bunny. I was also heavily stressed. It was not pleasant. You know, I might have been getting a lot of work done, but I, I was a wreck. 
Um, I was like bouncing off the walls and aggravated and agitated and getting a lot of work done, but I wasn't balanced. Okay, that sounds like me every day. <laughs> well, and here's what happens. Here's why we pay attention to this. You might go, oh, well, look, but all, look at all that work you're getting done. Uh, so what? You're a little uncomfortable. Big deal. No, the big deal is you can't sustain this. Eventually, if you keep right. doing this, you will end up unbalanced to the low side and you'll end up where most people are right now. They are, one of the phrases we use is... Um, Oh, well, now I have to think of it. We uh, wired and tired. So that's kind of what I was talking about when I was in this frenzic mode, you know, frantic, working, getting all this done. But I was exhausted all the time and I was miserable. We kind of call it wired and tired. And yet what will happen is you will just kind of collapse. Then we start talking about adrenal fatigue. Um, I'm dealing with a couple cases right now. And and it, it... once we kind of crash, it becomes much more difficult to dig out of that. Okay. So my main question is, you're you're very um, tech savvy on this thing. How how complicated is the watch? I've been meaning to get it, but I'm just afraid I'm not going to know what the hell to set to look at to to track to what to do. You, you won't just get confused. You won't. I mean, okay. you, you are correct. Okay. You won't understand. It, it, I, I wish I didn't have to say <laughs> that. It, it is a no. the watch is so powerful that it there is a learning curve to it. Now you can throw it on, and on okay. day one you start getting information that helps. There's no doubt about that. But if you want to really get it dialed in and use the instant stress like I do, it just pays to sit down with the instructions and just take your time as as much as we hate doing that kind of stuff. Walk through it, learn it once. There is a a learning curve to it, though. Okay, because I had suggested before, like you did with the canning and their protocol of exercise, sit down and push this button and wait two seconds and push that button. Right. If you did a tutorial. Yeah. And and we need to do that. It would make things a lot easier. It really would. And, and this, this information is really good. I think it would make me less apprehensive if I could watch you. Yeah. uh, Watch. Yeah. See you in the video, how you do it, then order it and then get it and then just watch it 10 times. Right. Figure it out. Right. But it, 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 I know you're busy and I know you got that stuff, but yeah, it, it's not as bad as I just made it sounds, but it, it feels like it. If you won't take the time to sit down with the instructions and at least go through it, you know, if you throw it and I did it the wrong way, it's just how I learn. I put it on my arm and started pressing buttons and kept pressing buttons until I figured it out. Um, so some, some tutorials would, would be nice. And it's on our list. Let's go to Oklahoma this time. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Um, oh, um, after listening to your tax guy, yeah. one thing that I, I see people do, they go into business, they become an escort, but they forget to keep their personal and their business oh, separate. Oh, good point. Oh, yeah, I'll just pay good. that. 
pay that as a uh, yeah. I'll pay I'll pay the electricity the house with the business account. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got because I got an office. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very very good point. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. So let's talk about that for a second. If you are a sole proprietor, if you operate your business as a sole proprietor, you can mix and match your money all you want. You can throw all yep. of your business money into a personal savings account or checking account and pay for it. You can use personal credit cards to pay for business expenses. You can use a credit card that might have your business name on it for personal expenses. The IRS doesn't care. They do care that at the end of the year, you, you can separate them in a way that they can see what's what but you are allowed to mix and match and use the money any way you want. At the end of the year, you just have to be able to tell them this was a personal expense, this was a business expense. But in an S corporation, you have to keep the physical money and accounts separate. You are not allowed to use a personal credit card to pay a business bill. If you do, it creates a whole bunch of accounting paperwork to try to make it right. And you don't use your, your corporate, you know, checking account to pay the mortgage or the utilities or so good point in an S corp, you have to keep all of those separate in a sole proprietor. You can mix and match any way you want. So I have another question now. I'm S corp, but occasionally I use my pickup truck for business purposes to go get parts or um, printed cartridge or whatever or you know that kind of stuff yeah so I claim the mileage on my pickup truck Correct. I keep the now now I keep a log of business miles and personal miles right so I have an engine rep, a major engine repair required on my personal vehicle that I also use for business occasionally. I think I got to pay it out of my personal rights. You know, I claim the mileage or can I claim any of it as business? No, you now, and this is one where I, I I'm going to tell you what's possible, but I'm not going to go through all the details on it because it's confusing and you have to work with your tax preparer. There are times where we can switch back to a different method of accounting for our personal vehicle. Now, it's confusing as to when you can switch back, when you can't switch, but it, there are times where we can say, oh, look, it would be better this year if I use real expenses instead of the mileage allowance. So it, it is possible to switch sometimes, not always, but sometimes in a year where it would make more sense. But you're really, I can't answer that on the phone because I don't have enough information in front of me. You, you would have to sit down with your tax preparer and say, can I switch? And let's do the math and see if it even makes sense for me to switch. It's thawing out in Oklahoma. We're above freezing. Good. Saturday night. So, there you go. And I, I, I saw some okay, saw some pictures. It was looking pretty ugly down in that part of the country. Let's go to North Carolina. Steve, welcome to the program. Ah, oh, good uh, morning to you. It's sure where you're at. Good afternoon to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I uh, 
I went with uh, Travis's guys, uh, uh, Rally, uh, his guy that's going through trucking. And one of the reasons I did, I, I really liked a lot of things that Travis has said during these uh, these several weeks. I've, I've never had anybody do my taxes before. And and moving into more you know, more real estate, things like that, uh, in addition to everything I'm doing, S-Corp and everything else, I wanted uh, to have them do it. And, and they, like I say, they're they're going to be fantastic. I know because I've, I've talked to them. We're kind of on the same page on a lot of things. Good. And what, something that Travis mentioned today is something that you never hear people mention is, is, and I call it optimizing your tax bracket. Um, you know, you, if you, as long as you can stay in the 12% tax bracket, did you know that you have zero, uh, capital gains tax? Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's a big plus. Yeah, it is. That's a big plus that if you can keep yourself. So, you know, and, and for 2022, it's 82,000 for a married couple taxable. When you add in to twenty seven thousand for the standard deduction, that's an AGI of about one hundred nine thousand. You know, you can uh, you can work things like your uh, depreciation and all to keep yourself below that level. Then you're paying zero capital gains. Um, you know, and then you try to plan if you got any capital gains you want to use. Try to plan it during the year because you do have to make those moves before the end of the year. The sales of of, of capital gains like you know, stocks and things, but. That gives you a it gives you a a, a great planning tool to say I'm going to keep myself in the twelve percent bracket. If I've got that depreciation, it can keep me there to be able to get these other tax benefits. Yeah, and you know and that's what they do there that a lot of CPAs don't. Yeah, and Travis even went one step further into you know a, a deeper strategy here in that he's a lot of tax preparers. Their default is I'm gonna take every penny of depreciation I can right now because I'm gonna make you happy right now. You know the tax preparer or the taxpayer yeah. has to pay yeah. less. It oh, looks oh, better. they want to zero you out. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Travis is saying, yep. wait a minute, that's yeah. short sighted. Maybe it would make more sense Very to take a little bit of depreciation, really tweak where we want you to be in the, the the tax brackets, and then be able to have some so next year we can tweak again and get you where we that that's real tax planning. Now the the reason most people never take advantage of real tax planning is because they're missing two things. And we keep talking about these two things. One, you have to have a good accounting system. If you don't, you're never going to get to the tax planning stage. And second, you just started creating this now. You have to have a relationship with somebody who knows how to tax plan. Yeah. And and that's I, I still do some taxes. It's mostly from guys I've been doing them for for right, thirty right. years. So company right. drivers, uh, and I still do some. And I I do a lot of planning with them to move a lot of their retirement money from traditional over to Roth, keeping them in that twelve percent bracket. Perfect. Yeah. And, and and they're doing they're doing that now. And like one of them just retired, and he's getting ready to start drawing Social Security and his, his a little bit of pension. His wife's on Social Security, um, and and he's going to, you know, he's going to have some space in there. He might be able to move more money to Roth. However, he's at a, he's going to be at a low enough uh, basis for his Social Security going to twenty twenty three and his and his pension 
that we if he doesn't use it, we have to look at it both ways. If he doesn't use it, he won't have to pay hardly maybe uh, on fifteen percent of his social security is all he has to pay tax on. Right. Instead of that eighty five percent, if he goes all the way up. Right. So you you have to look at taxes. You look at it several different ways. Which way is going to be the best net way? It's like I told him he's got four hundred thousand in his in his retirement plans, and I, I said you're not going to probably move all that over. But guess what? Once you uh once you assume room temperature, your kids can pay the tax on the uh, as they grow <laughs> right. out. That, That's right. That traditional uh, That's right. IRA after you, after you die, they got ten years to do it. And but you the more you can put in Roth, then along the way you can utilize a little bit of that of the of the traditional yourself. Pay yep. tax on it then, and try to you know it's nice to leave Roth for everybody, uh, but you know you may not be able to. But if you look every year, every different tax angle at it, what is the best way overall? The overall picture, and I and I like what Travis and them are doing there, yeah. and uh, for yep. that reason, because like most CPAs they're gonna try to zero you out. As a truck drivers, truck drivers always say, "Oh, my my CPA just gets me to buy a new I truck know. every three years, <laughs> and we zero out every year." I said, "Well, I said." Well, well, you welcome. You'll be able to drive until you die because you're not going to have a. Exactly. I'm going to have a forty five. I'm going to have a forty five hundred dollar. I'm going to have a forty five hundred dollar a month Social Security check in two years when I hit seventy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Yeah. You know, but over the years, I pay. Over the years, I had great paying company jobs. I've made money and paid some taxes while I've been an owner operator. Correct. Um. And so and and I'm d- delaying to seventy. I'm getting thirty two percent more just for doing that and and thanks to all the socialists out here we've had inflation and the inflation rate i got 8.9 percent raise this year right. i got 5.7 last year this coming year i'll get a, these next two years we're gonna get another five to six percent inflation rate so it's gonna be a forty five hundred dollar check so the, but the guys that are zeroing out every year they're probably not gonna get little if any no nope. you know that's, that's the right thing. now i'm not wild about it but i i took advantage of the system as it was there and and the fact that I made good money early on is the reason that yeah. my, my check was so much higher. I was a teamster back in the eighties, you know, and I, we made decent money back in the eighties. You know, they multiply, they do, they bring everything up to your sixtieth year as yep. index to, to determine your your fate. But you know, like I say, uh, with 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 Travis and them, you know, they are they are they are the, they're the best I've seen because I can say nine out of ten CPAs are going to try to zero out on our operator, right. and that's. To me, that's just very short sight. We, yep, it uh, is. We, but we, we appreciate you bringing him to us. Good, good. Yeah, great guy, great firm. I, I, you know, like you, I did my own tax returns for years and years, and then even after I had to stop doing my own, I still was doing them for other people. I usually do some every year for somebody, uh, but I, it, you just get to that point where it just doesn't make sense to do your own anymore. Uh, I can't possibly keep on up on this stuff the way Travis does. Steve, I'm going to cut you loose. i got to wrap up these calls before the top of the hour. We have uh, Rolling Toe coming up in just about 15 minutes. I'm going to keep knocking out calls until then. We'll go to Idaho right now. Mark, welcome to the program. Devin, how are you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? Good, man. Hopefully my uh, service remains. Okay. <laughs> Traveling. Um Hey, um, so NutriSense, uh, we just purchased some, uh, last month and then just started on the first okay. and, uh, my girlfriend and I, and, uh, it's been something we want to do for a long time. Good. Not because we're diabetic, 
because we want to make sure you don't become diabetic. Different foods, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. You know, we just want to test ourselves. Yeah. Um, uh, we've incorporated more carbs into our diet through fruit and stuff more okay. over the last probably six months than we kind of used to. So, uh, but with that said, uh, this last year we also started doing. Um, uh, we go to a place that's it's got uh, it's got saunas and then cold plunges. So oh, cool. we go straight from the sauna yeah. to the cold plunge, and we do like three cycles in an hour that we're there. And, uh, but the saunas are upwards of, you know, 190, 220. Wow. Uh, pretty standard around 208. Yeah. So, okay. uh, is, and so they're, they're hot and then, you know, into the cold, but NutriSense, they, they only recommend like 113, I think. And well, I haven't talked to them directly, but I just know that you did, did this for quite a while and we're in and out of your sauna sleeping bag and different things or I don't know what else you did but uh, did you have experience with this like is not really lasting the 14 days or I, you know uh, I, I since I've been using the NutriSense CGM which has been on and off for a couple of years I've also been a part of groups on social media so not only do I get to see my own results I see what's going on with a lot of other people uh, I have done all kinds of crazy biohacking with it in infrared saunas and the sauna blankets and the cold and all kinds of things. I've never had a failure. I've never had the sensor not read right. I mean, I've never had a sensor come off. Um, I, I have never had a single problem with a sensor. I, if you read the group long enough, you'll come across all kinds of stuff. People have their sensors fall off. They stop yeah. reading occasionally. Um, and people do talk about you know, when they swim and, and that kind of stuff. And it, there are occasionally some things that could go wrong, but it doesn't seem all that common. And I haven't had any issues. Okay. Well, that's a good testimony. Uh, I just wasn't, we both weren't sure with the heat, you know, we'll sometimes spend, uh, we try to shoot for like, just depends on how we're feeling, but on the, in that hour, we'll, you know, um, 12 to 20 minutes, you know, uh, yeah. 15 to 20 minutes yeah. on that, on that hot exposure. And it's pretty hot. So I was like, well, maybe this thing will malfunction. Maybe it'll start come it, off early. It, it, it's possible. But, and like I said, I've seen some stories. It happens occasionally, but I've put it through some, some pretty tough stuff and it's worked just fine. I mean, I've spent a, a solid hour in the sauna blanket, an hour straight without getting out at all. And it gets pretty darn hot in there and I'm sweating like crazy. And yeah. the sensors, you know, right up against the hot material on the inside of the blanket. And I, like I said, I've never had a, a single false reading or a fence sensor fail. Excellent. What you Glad will notice, so, uh, what, what, what you will notice is how much of an impact all of those things have on your blood sugar with no food involved at all. Yeah. Um, like this is, you know, the second morning. So I, I'm, I've already, I felt like we're, we're both pretty healthy and, and we've been eating clean for quite some time, quite a few years and, and, uh, learning. And, and I, I, I'm already finding out my, my glucose is a, <laughs> a little high yeah, and uh, but, a little, shoot, I'm a bit, oh, but 
this is why I'm doing it. So I can kind of, te- you know, maybe not eat as late and incorporate certain right. things when I, right. before I go to bed. And I would have never known unless I, unless we're trying this. So we, we're doing three months and Excellent. we just want to learn from it. Excellent. So, well, we'll check in once in a while and tell us what you're learning. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, yeah, that's all I had, man. Oh, real quick on yeah. the yogurt. Um, I got some tabs from you guys quite some time ago. Uh, I ended up uh, making a batch. turned out great. But the first batch that um, we tried, it we ended up using the Instapot, and it didn't work right because the temperature wasn't right. So yeah. we ended up buying, like, a sous vide machine. But okay. the Instapot messed up the, uh, the Barbarian, and... I wasn't sure if I was to, uh, I got to order some more stuff from your store, but is, is, are the, is those, can I still I, get some? Uh, I, I still think we, no? we do have some in stock. I'll tell you what I'm going to do when I, instead of cutting you loose, I'll put you back in the queue uh, and Angie will pick, pick up and let you know what we do have in stock. I had the same experience, by the way, my instant okay. pot got too hot. You couldn't control the temperature enough. Yeah, it didn't work. Man. Right. Mine didn't either. SUV worked great, though. It's beautiful. First batch yeah. turned out good, so yep. looking forward to the second. Excellent. All right, I'll put you back in the queue. Uh, Angie will pick up, and she'll help you out with that. Let's go to Texas. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call again, Kevin. Uh, sorry the call dropped earlier. I- no problem. What's on your mind? Hey, I uh, sent in uh, my third oil sample for this truck. I sent in uh, oil sample two as well uh, a while back, and I didn't, I didn't have you recheck that or you know go over that with me because it was only like five thousand miles after the first one. Okay. But so the, the second one though, um, I put the OPS on and changed changed the oil, so it's a clean twenty five thousand miles or whatever it is, and but I stopped using the catalyst too. Right, all of that right there. I put the OPS, LPS on, fresh oil change, and didn't, and then stopped using the catalyst. And um, I, I also forgot to change the sump capacity to like I, I don't know how much those OPS filters take. But I imagine it's probably a gallon, right, for the big one. No, so I left it no, at no, 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 not even, so, not even close. We don't come. I, I, I think we barely put a quart in the ten-inch filter. Okay, so I just left the sump capacity at 10, which is what this C15 calls for. Um, so, yeah, I'd like you to let me know what I got, man. I mean. Well, uh, it's, you've got a very, very boring oil sample. You've got nothing to talk about. Well, the iron's still high like if I was using the no, catalyst, though. No, it's not. It's not? No, not at all. Okay. No. Iron, I, it, nothing's flagged. Your wear metals are all really low. There's, there's uh, your silicon's nice and low. It's only four. We have no soot to speak of. Even though they flag your fuel dilution, it, it's totally normal. It's a, exactly where we'd expect it to see. Your base is holding up well. Uh, this is just a really boring oil sample. Pretty typical of a C15. When these things are tuned right and, and driven right, they're, they're clean engines. All right. Well, it's got a million seventy-three thousand yeah, miles on it. That's now. A, it's it's this is a really good engine tuned well and in good shape right now. 
Okay. That, that uh, makes me happy because, hell, I didn't, I, I just, I don't know. I bought this truck sight unseen. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it worked this time. <laughs> it worked this time. Not, uh, well, it also cost me 60 grand. So, but, you know, I'm not ever going to do that again. But right. Let me ask you one more thing. Let me ask you one more thing real quick with profit gauges. Um, I'm in an operation where you obviously I get paid my settlement a week after I do the, the run, if it's in by Saturday or whatever. But we have this run that goes to El Paso, Texas, where we don't get paid for that until the trailer comes back from Mexico. And sometimes that could be two weeks, three weeks, whatever. And so like the it, the, the year, the profit and loss statement on profit gauges for, for 20 for the last year. I put in the ending mileage on December 31st. Well, let me, let me back up. I put it in. I, at first I put the ending mileage of my last fuel up that was on my last settlement for 2022, Okay. which kept everything looking, you know, like it should. If I went and put the ending mileage for the end of the year, obviously it made my bottom line go down by like 10 cents per mile. But what it did is going forward, it made my fuel charges like go up to like a dollar seventy something a mile. I mean, it really obscured everything. And then when I go back and put it back to the ending mileage, you know, for my last fuel up for my last settlement, it it much more reflects, you know, kind of tracks with what I did last year. And so I'm wondering, what should I do? Because so the the one just, thing I the one yeah, thing right. I want people to get out of these accounting questions at the end of the month, the end of the year, the most important thing is to be consistent. Just keep doing it. Whatever you choose, whichever method you choose to use, just be consistent with it. Here's the method I'd like to use when it comes to miles. For mileage, I I, want to use the real miles on that date. Now, our money, like you said, we may have earned it in this week. We're not going to get paid for two or three weeks. There's nothing we can do about that. We just have to deal with that, but we can keep our mileage real. So at the, uh, on December 31st, I want to look at the odometer or January 1st and record the mileage right then on that, the actual day. And then I'm just consistent with that. And I just keep it that way. Okay. All right. That's what I'm going to do. I, uh, what is the per, what's the protocol to have you look at my numbers? Do I call in and tell Angie, hey, yep. or you know, or send in a report to y'all? E- either way, you I can mean, pull, I, I, you can I, you can create a PDF of the report and just email it to us, or you can call and have Angie pull it up and send it over to me when you call. Okay, so that'll be a conversation for another time. Good. I I'm not, I'm not putting any of my expenses in. Because I had so much when I bought this truck, it was over sixty thousand dollars that I had to. So I wanted to see. Well, I didn't want to obscure it. I wanted no, that's to say, fine. what am you, I actually making with yep. this com- with this company? I, Is it worth working here? I'm fine with that. That that's a that's how you should use your accounting. You know, don't stick to just a bunch of stupid rules that don't make any sense. Use your accounting to help you make decisions. And that's what you did. You you took some numbers out so that you were looking at it correctly. You you did the right thing. Yeah, it's all accounted for in QuickBooks. Right. So I have that P&L statement. But 
if I'm, t- can I tell you something? If I'm, if I'm making two sixteen a mile, all miles, I'm leased to a carrier. It's two sixteen all miles. My split is about. Uh, it, it's it's a little better than sixty forty, but it's not quite like thirty six. I, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's not quite like thirty three and sixty six or nothing like that. You know, let's just say it's a sixty forty split. You know, um, you, you know I, what I'm actually making is like a dollar thirty five per mile profit bottom. I mean, okay. and that's not including any of my expenses. I mean, is that, am I, is, is it horrible? Well, wait a minute. I, you I said think- <laughs> something that confused me. You said my bottom line is whatever, a dollar 36 or whatever it was. The number isn't all that important right now, but then you said that doesn't include any of my expenses. I don't know what that means. Well, that's just, uh, that's just my numbers off my settlement. That that's not including any maintenance. Like the sixty thousand that well, I pulled well, out, it's just the, the settlements with the fuel, the the fuel surcharge. Well, and then like, like all of my insurance and stuff that, that they take out. Well, when you, we don't want to use that number to compare to see are you doing good or not. I mean, it, we 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 want everything to be in there. When when you pulled the maintenance out. Technically, we wouldn't want to pull it out completely because you, you know you're always going to have maintenance. We, we need that in there. The longer we do accounting, the better we get at it and the more we can see patterns. So what I'm saying is 60000 in maintenance in a very short period of time will screw up your reports. But zero maintenance also screws up your report. That's not accurate. If we had been doing this kind of accounting for two or three years and we could go back and say our average maintenance cost over the last three years has been 27 cents a mile. So let's just assume we're still spending at least 27 cents a mile every month. Do you see what I mean? We, We can... The longer we do this and the more numbers we have, the more we can start to have these numbers make sense. Right. It was my plan to start adding in all the maintenance and stuff, the real cost of operating going forward starting this year, January 1st. Which is fine. But for right. last year, with, right, so I don't really know. But, I mean, I, 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 but I, am I – Doing horrible or? Well, it's not horrible. No, I mean, I'm I mean it, it, and I'm doing hey, it. Here's one way to think about this. Let's let's forget that we've taken any kind of maintenance numbers out right now because that's just going to confuse everything. If we're doing our accounting correctly, all the numbers are in there, and we look at our net profit per mile, and let's say it was a dollar thirty-six. Here's one of the ways we can use that number. How many jobs could you go out and get right now that would pay you a dollar thirty six a mile? Right, and yeah, I'm taking home twelve thousand a month in the clear. How many that, driving jobs could can't... you go get that would would pay you that kind of money? Not many. No, I I don't. That's why I'm <laughs> it, sticking where I'm at. It, so there's there's your answer. How are you doing? Well, you're doing way better than you could as an employee anywhere. Right. And it's my first year. I've only been owner-operator six months. There you go. I don't go. know what the hell I'm doing. That's, that's, that's pretty damn good. Keep it up. 
<laughs> well, so, so big, big thanks to you too. I mean, you, well, good. You know, good. So, uh, all right. Yeah. All right, yeah. man. I'll, I'll let y'all get. I'll let you get to everyone else. Thank there you. There you go. Thanks for everything. We're, we're going to get to one more call, and then we're going to wrap this up so we can bring in Rolling Toe Steve in Ohio. You get the final word today. Hey, Kevin. Long time listener, first time caller. All right. Great to have you here. What's on you your mind? Me? All right. Uh, we're on the HBR. Uh, HRV. I you talking about it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It needs to be higher. My, mine is like stays between 32 and 36 balance. Plus, I go home and I get in a tequila and it drops low. <laughs> it's then, easy to make your and, a, yeah. I can tell you all kinds of ways to make your HRV go down. It's really easy. Getting well, it to go up takes a lot that's of work. Usually what, <laughs> okay, well, I, I, it's gradual with that. Now, like I said, that range I'm usually in. Now, these last few weeks, I've been tearing into these mushroom adaptations. The mushroom things. Adaptogens, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. I can't talk right now. I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, so, in trend, and when I take that, and I'm eating, and I watch the time I eat, I notice it's been the last few weeks. Like I said, I've been getting up 38, 37, 38, 39, and it's been, and it's hard to do. Yes. Okay, and I was like, okay, what now? That was weird. Now last night, and I got up today, I jumped up to 46 and now it's unbalanced i've never been on the high side unbalanced and i'm which which it's been getting better my body battery has been building better good which adaptogens are you taking oh i i I take the rishi at night and then i got i got tank i got the energy the defend i I mix them all okay so here's let me kind of tell you what's going on here. And this is, the, it's all good news. It, it, what's happening is exactly what I would expect to happen. If we look at HRV and what affects it, and there's two parts of HRV, remember the number itself and whether we're balanced or unbalanced. Diet and supplements can help us raise our HRV a little bit. But for the most part, diet and supplements are going to impact whether our HRV is balanced or not. That's where diet and supplements like adaptogens are going to have the biggest impact on whether or not we're balanced. They can raise it some, especially the adaptogens more than food can, but not a lot. Those things are really more to help us get get into and stay in balance. What can make our number go up requires mostly physical efforts of some kind. And I can generalize and say the activities we have to pursue to get our HRV number to go up are all activities that make us uncomfortable. You have to get cold, so cold that you're uncomfortable. Your HRV will start to go up. You have to get hot, so hot you're, you're getting uncomfortable. Your HRV will go up. You have to strain your muscles. You have to do some sort of resistance training to the point that it's uncomfortable and your HRV will go up. You have to change your breathing in a way that is uncomfortable and your HRV will go up. Those are all of the, those, those protocols that I've been working on this all this time. I tested hundreds of things. I do. What work, really works. I do work on that. 
Okay. I got your X3 bar. I use that, and I try to do the cold showers as often as I can, or just walk outside some. Walking outside until you shiver. You know, go outside in a t-shirt on a really cold day. And if you breathing, I try to do it going down the road. I just I I need to listen to the app more. Yeah. So now. Why did you get higher but unbalanced? And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, when we're trying to get our HRV higher, a lot of times we are going to end up unbalanced on the high side for a while. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just don't want to stay there too long. So when you take some of the adaptogens like perform and think, those kind of rev up our nervous system a little bit, make it stronger, but it can, it, it, if we focus on those, we can end up out of balance somewhat. The chill and the defend can kind of bring us back into balance sometimes. And, and I, when I was really, you know, hitting the chill, the Rishi hard and not doing the physical protocols, I actually ended up unbalanced on the low side. They, they, they were, I was nice and mellow and chilled, and, but I, I, I ended up unbalanced on the low side. I, I said I could actually lay around like I was comatose all day, and, and that's unusual for me. When I'm unbalanced on the high side, I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I'm bouncing off the walls, and and, and that's okay. That's how we we grow it, and we just have to remember we also have to keep bringing it back into balance. Okay. Yeah, the Rishi, the chill, it does help me sleep, and then throughout the day, I can tell that I'm I'm really calm because it's like a lot of times something should stress me. I can just sit there like, yeah. Yep, that's... I think about it, it don't bother me at all. Exactly and right. I, I That's can, I really perfect. that one. Yep, perfect. But it's just weird. I've never went high and unbalanced. It's always everything affects me and takes me down low, but I've slowly been building that up. And then all of a sudden, it shoot up like that. And I was like, it was just, it's you, just weird. Well, you know what? Uh, this is telling us, and, and we're getting feedback now because we have more and more people that are doing these things as I was talking about them. What this is all telling us is all really good news. I I, I think I nailed this one. It, it works. And it works pretty damn quick. All right. And, and you got any more uh, news on that? I guess you were putting some new supplements together. Uh, the only news I have is that I haven't finished my part of them. Um, our, our supplement manufacturers waiting on me. Um, and it's just, we're, yeah, it, it, we're just in a place where we've got a lot of stuff going on right now and we're short on people. And, um, no, I, I, it, it's, yeah, I try all this. yeah, they're, they're, they're waiting on me right now. So, uh, um, it, in fact, today is it's on my schedule that I've got to do some work on that. I've got to get some uh, paperwork filled out. I, we're, I, we've got our formulations done. I, I can say that. The formulations are done. It's all down to paperwork and design and, and getting them into production right now. And uh, everybody's waiting on me. So I am going to wrap this up. We are going to come right back within about three minutes um, with Rolling Toe. Mike and Kevin Beckett are standing by right now. So uh, 
I'm going to get out of here and bring them in. We will be back tomorrow with both John and Joel. I'm not sure about Henry. I don't know if Henry's joining us this week or not. Uh, So we will see you tomorrow for that. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.